welcome to a special edition of the Fish Cast, and it's special because we have a special guest today. But first, there's me, Corey Long. Of course, there's Charles Fishbine. How you doing, Fish? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm excited about this because you know i I got the chance to meet our next guest um, a long time ago with a guy named Max Emfinger, a, a <laughs> oldie but goldie in the recruiting world. I don't even know if he's still alive, but uh, <laughs> his spirit lives. And uh, I had gotten to meet our next guest, and and that's how we became friends. And um, for all those people on these message boards that want to punch me in the throat, trust me, Jimmy wanted to at one time as well. Uh, but we fought through those issues, and now, you know, we're friends and stuff. So I'm glad he's a guest on the show. One time, you say. One time, single <laughs> <laughs> parent. <laughs> Well, of course, we're bringing in uh, Jimmy Smith from Rivals.com to talk a little bit about you know, a couple of things, but, but primarily this uh, LSU job opening. Um, first of all, Jimmy, give everybody your background in LSU football and Louisiana football in general. Yeah, absolutely. So born and raised in Louisiana, moved to Florida, uh, which is kind of where Fish and I connected um, out of high school. And, and worked there for about 13 years and spent most of those years um, doing various uh, things involved in recruiting. Um, even worked for Fish with Elite Scouting for a while. Uh, that's where we kind of got to know each other, Corey, and, and really just kind of popped up everywhere. Nobody really knew what I was doing or who I worked for. I really didn't even know. I had my hand in so many baskets trying to figure it out early on in this process. And I really just ended up in media, moved back to Louisiana about 11 years ago or so, worked for the Thomas Picayune, uh, ran their recruiting department for eight years and, and now running the LSU and Arkansas site on the Rivals Network. All right. Among well, other things, right? Among other things, yes. And uh, the Arkansas, I feel like the Arkansas head coaching job is in pretty good hands right now with Sam Pittman. The LSU job, on the other hand, is wide open. So, my, I guess my first, before we go into who we thinks and get it, who, who we're gonna, we, you know, fish at his side. I had my, we've all talked about that. Before we get into that, um, I want you to say, want you to say, with, with LSU open, USC open, um, a couple other jobs, looks like, looks like they might be open. The LSU job, I mean, depending on what you look at with the USC job, should rate as the number one job opening right now. And we say that. As we, as, we, as we tape this on November 19th, not knowing what's going to open up tomorrow. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, if the standard is winning, right, and being able to go to a program and having the resources uh, to win, then I think LSU probably is the best job available. And, and while there's some other big jobs um, possibly becoming available down the road, like Florida and so on, I don't know if any of them necessarily would trump LSU in that department. I think LSU can hang with any of the, the big weights. I mean, the last three coaches in Baton Rouge, um, two of which uh, really haven't found success anywhere other than their time in Baton Rouge and Les Miles and, and Ed Orgeron have won titles. Um, not many programs can say that. So the thought is uh, if you get a competent coach in there and, and no knock against Les Miles or Ed Orgeron, but these aren't your X's and no uh, geniuses of today, right? And so if you get one of these high caliber coaches in here, uh, how high could this program go? And and while I think USC has the capability of climbing and becoming an, an elite program year after year, I think uh, none of these schools 
have really solidified that fact that you come here, you recruit pretty well, and you develop your guys. You're going to have shots at national titles. I don't think any of these other programs outside of maybe Florida coming open a little bit down the road uh, can really say that. Yeah, you know. You left him speechless. That yeah, was I so mean, good. Yeah, that was, he was such a good sales pitch that he was just like, wow, maybe I should get this LSU job. You know, he's like. Oh, no, nah, I mean, I agree. Listen, the LSU job's been a great job. Um, for a very long time. I mean, Saban brought it to another level from when he came to Michigan State. And then it was basically a car. The, the keys were handed over to these guys, and they basically drove it off a cliff. Uh, you know, you look at the program, Jimmy, and, and you know, Ed Orgeron two years ago was on top of the world. He probably had one of the best teams ever in college football. What went awry so quickly um, at LSU and, and we're in this position now that we're looking at, you know, a new head coach when this guy was probably coach of the year two years ago, what went wrong in your opinion? And, and where can they, where's the next coach going to have to go to get this thing turned around and back on track? Yeah, I think really the big thing with Ed Orgeron um, for me was continuity with this, within the staff, right? I mean, year after year, there was so much turnover, new systems being implemented on both the offense and defensive side of the ball, um, we see that at some other schools. Maybe Alabama is one that comes to mind. It seems like, but one thing about Alabama is that defensive system, for the large part, has stayed the same um, during Saban's entire tenure. Ed Orgeron's a position coach by trade. They aren't running his systems, right? And so as those coordinators leave and you bring in new guys, that's a completely new system. And so I think when you go from Matt Canada and and Joe Brady and Stevens Minger and and um, and now Jake Peets in a, in a five-year run, I mean, that's a lot of different systems to learn. And, and it's really hindered this team and defensively has been very similar. So I think that's where it all starts. Um, and another big part they, they really struggled and Ed Orr's staff struggled was the, um, keeping the kids happy. Recruiting is five years long now. You recruit them in high school and, and you keep recruiting them every year through college. And during all the social tension um, with everything that's come up in the last year and a half, two years, I really think Ed Orgeron um, wasn't able to connect with this team during that time. And it created this divide. And then you start losing guys through transfer portal left and right and, and some disciplinary issues mixed in with that. Now you've got a depleted roster at key positions uh, like the offensive line and, and so on. So I think when you put those two big things together, ultimately that's what led to, to what we see today. And, and, you know, the next coach will have his work cut out for him. There's a lot of things that need to change and pretty quickly for LSU to get back on track to that national championship level. But I think the core pieces are here. There's some elite players on both sides of the ball. There's a lot of talent um, available for them in the next, in this recruiting class and next year's recruiting class to kind of, you know, and they have that big brand. If you're attacking transfer portals and you've got starting positions open at LSU and a new coaching staff and a lot of hype, um, they should be able to attract some some really good transfers through the portal too. So I think the pieces are in place, but there's been a lot of damage done and it's been a, a slow decline that's ultimately led to a sub 500 team, which is kind of crazy. Just thinking two years ago, this might've been the best team we had seen in quite some time. I'm going to follow this up. You know, when Jimbo left Florida state, you know, there a lot, you know, their recruiting did slip and, you know, Florida state, you see what they are now is, is, LSU close to like, can they get to nine or 10 wins next year with the new coach? Is there enough talent there or is this team 
there's just too many holes on this team moving forward. Do you feel like they could get this thing turned around right away? Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, it's going to be, can you find two or three new starters on the offensive line? If you can, and the players buy, buy into a system and you get quality coaching in here, I think it's a double-digit win team next year, whether it's nine and three in the regular season with a bowl win or, or even better. Um, there's a lot of talent here. Kayshawn Butte, wide receiver, is going to be a first-round pick. Might not be Jamar Chase, but he's one of the most dynamic receivers in the country. They've got a slew of freshman receivers that, that are probably going to make all SEC freshman teams. They're all coming back next year. They've All their stable of running backs coming back next year. Their quarterbacks who have, haven't been extremely productive this year, but they're coming back as well. Um, and on the de defensive side of the ball, you probably – all four of their starters are future NFL players and only one of them's leaving after this year. So that means you have three guys returning um, that should play on Sunday. So um, that's more than most teams in the country. So uh, there's a lot of pieces there. Of course, you have some dynamic players in the secondary as always in Baton Rouge. So there's enough pieces there um, to where this team could contend next year, but it's, it's really got to be a coach that gets in, provides some discipline, some structure and the guys buy into it. If you see that develop, um, I think this team could su surprise some people. All right. And before we get to names, and we're about to get there. I have <laughs> one, one, one kind of a, I guess, theoretical question here. After 2019, and this is, I'm asking your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. Did LSU make a bit of a, bit of a tactical mistake? And I say that because you had Joe Brady as your OC, you had Dave Aran in here. And obviously you couldn't guarantee that coaching job to both of them. And maybe the NFL was going to be a little bit too much of a pull for Joe Brady. But was there a situation where they could have given Aranda another year at D.C., maybe worked out a, like an under-the-table plan where Orgeron moves to like an ops position, some sort of a you know overseer position, and Aranda get that head coaching job? Because – they're going to be – Dave Miranda's pretty damn good. You know, it looks like he's pretty – he's a pretty good coach. And, uh, you know, the thing is you had those two guys there. So you really had two guys that could have succeeded your head coach there. Was it just – were they just basking in the title glory too much and didn't have that sort of forward thinking? Because we all knew that the ogre – I love the ogre, but he wasn't – you know, he's not a long-term guy, you know, especially at the head coaching job. And I felt like it could have – fix this while they were on top rather than wait for it to get to this point. Yeah, I think in, in retrospect, absolutely, right? I mean, David Rand has proven now that he can lead a program, win big games, and so on with what he's done at Baylor. But at that time, he had yet to have been a head coach. And Joe Brady was still um, the youngest coordinator in the SEC, only had one year in that position and really wasn't the offensive coordinator, was more of a passing game coordinator, shared play calling duties and things of that nature. So at that time, um, those guys probably weren't ready. Um, and Edwards Ron was riding high only a few years in. He wins a national championship. Uh, I don't think anybody foresaw this type of decline this rapidly, um, you know, but if you looking back now, I think, yeah, they missed some golden opportunities there. I think there was no question in a lot of people's mind that Dave Aranda um, was a potential head coach and was probably going to be a really good one. Um, so, yeah, you could have had some of those backdoor discussions for sure, especially if you're Scott Woodward, who didn't hire Ed Orgeron, who said to not have always been bought, bought in fully um, to him being the head of this program. 
um, if, if you had that at your disposal, yeah, there could have been some opportunities there. And, and looking back, I'm sure they wish they may have pursued some. But here you are, and Aranda is still a coaching option. Um, I don't think Joe Brady would turn this position down if they offered him. I know he wants to stay in the NFL, but I don't think any 34-year-old coordinator who's only made a million dollars plus one or two years in his life is going to turn down a potential of seven, eight million plus a year to go be head coach at LSU. So, I mean, they could still go get those guys now, and those guys are more seasoned and more prepared for this situation. Um, but you had them at one time kind of locked and loaded and, and could have uh, set this up and made a for a smooth transition. You know, Corey and I talked about this, and with that Ordron now going to, you know, step aside, and I don't know what his role will be at LSU, but – do you see him like, you know, all right, he takes a year here and, and, and sits on the sideline. Is he someone that you still think has enough juice to go to another program? You know, we were talking about, is he a good fit at a Florida where they need a, a top recruiter and, and Ed Orgeron's proven to be a good recruiter when he, he has one job. Do you see him going somewhere else? Maybe in the SEC, does, does he go to the Nick Saban, uh, you know, coaching thing to get re re you know resurrect his career the coaching you, rehabilitation yeah the rehab so. yeah what do you think is going to happen with that oh honestly i think he um takes a couple years off i think he's going to become an advocate for this program they seem to have some kind of deal worked out where he's going to help in fundraisers and make appearances on behalf of the lsu program um over the next couple of years as he's receiving his final payouts um, I think he takes that opportunity to kind of bask in the glory of being one of the uh, most successful coaches in LSU history. I mean, the guy didn't win a national championship. He's being paid handsomely on his way out. Um, and then from there, I, I think, you know, he only seeks possible head coaching opportunities. And I don't know how many big ones would be available at that point. I could see him um, coming back as the head coach of, of UL, Louisiana Lafayette in a couple of years, something to that extent. I don't see him getting another big power five job. Maybe, um, you know, one of these schools on the bottom of the barrel like Kansas did with Les Miles, uh, maybe a move like that a little bit down the road, but I still think we're two or three years away. Um, Ed Orgeron recently divorced. Part of the issues he had is he's in a late life crisis right now, not even midlife, right? He's beyond, midlife. he's in a late life crisis. He's chasing around girls that were recently living in dorm room, dorm rooms. So that's another podcast, Jimmy. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, let's just the things that are out there in the streets. Right, out there get what Ed out there in the streets getting it on. That's what he's doing. And you know yeah. what? More oh. power to you, brother. We only live once. At the end of the day, you only got one life. It's you want a ring. You go enjoy all that that ring brings you. Yeah, I would argue Ed's had a few lives. Right. We know Ed's been <laughs> one, heck, one heck of a roller coaster ride in his coaching career. And uh, he went to the to the highest of highs two years ago. And now he's back at the bottom of this roller coaster. But I'm going to tell you, this man's going to climb back up. He always finds a way. Ed Orgeron always resurfaces and, and, and puts himself in a good position. That's great. great that deal. is great. All right. Fine. Let's get to it now. Let's talk some names now. Mm -hmm. Can we take Mel Tucker out of the equation? I have 95 million reasons to think that we might. Yeah, I think those are 95 million good reasons. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I we've seen a lot of these coaching searches. And with that much time before LSU was going to make a hire, 
any of the, the early names that were being thrown around, I was telling people, don't buy that. There's no way Scott Woodward's top dogs are going to be at the forefront of this thing. Now, mind you, uh, Mel Tucker's represented by the same guy that represents a lot of these other head coaches, right? And so there's a lot of massaging here. So you 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 posture that and you allow that to create the smoke screen at the same time. It helps one of the guys that you're working with for your new hire to get a nice raise. It's the good old boy system. So I don't think I think he was a candidate. I don't think he was ever the lead candidate or even a top dog. I think um, had LSU missed out on a few other guys, they could have gotten a Mel Tucker. But I don't think that's going to be the case at this point. I think he's going to stay at Michigan State and we're going to see um some of the other names start to surface and become the, the hot topics. All right. So I'm a, I'm a, what I'm going to do, rather than so you're not put in a bad position, I'm going to throw names out there to you. And That's you different. can kind of tell me, you know, what, what do you think? And we're going to start. All right. Let's start with James Williams. James Franklin, excuse me, over at Penn State. He wants to get out of Penn State. You can tell. You can tell by his press conferences. Like, he's hoping that somebody throws him a lifeline Anything, just just get me out of Penn State. Someone drop a helicopter down and just just fly me away, mm-hmm. you know. So, James Franklin is he on that? Is he on that? Top, if they, if you had to make a top five, is he on that? Is he on that top five list? No, I don't think he is. I think he's uh, not far outside of it. But I think um, guys like Dave Aranda now, and even maybe Billy Napier's. There's other guys that have probably bumped him on this list. I would say he was outside of the top five. Okay. Um, I was going to ask about Aranda. <laughs> is Aranda, we got to get a little higher with Aranda. Is Aranda, would you say he's in the top two? I don't think Aranda is in your top two. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, damn, they're shooting top. I, I mean, mean, like, my, well, Scott, I mean, it's Scott Bill is a, Scott <laughs> Woodward is an OG. It's like Scott Woodward is real. Like Scott Woodward does not. Like, when he, he goes, he goes, he goes fishing in the aquarium. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he ain't got time to wait. So <laughs> Scott Woodward is real. I, I mentioned Jimbo Fisher. Now we got Jimbo's audio and him. Nobody loves College Station as much as Jimbo claims to love College Station. I'm going to say that much right now. That being said, he could be happy there. His family could be happy. I don't think he's lying about that part of his family being happy and him loving his ranch, and uh, and he's got a great recruiting class. So there's a lot of reasons for him to stay. Um, obviously, Scott hired him over at A&M. Is that even a conversation that's going to be had, in your opinion? Yeah, I think that conversation's been had, and I think ultimately if Jimbo wanted this job, it would be his. Um, I think that is Scott Woodward's guy. I think those discussions have been at um, it doesn't I don't get the feeling at this stage um, that that's going to happen, though. I do think it was on the table, though, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, and since that name's been withdrawn, we've seen some of these other names start to surge and, and become the hot topics. But I do think there was definitely discussions. I know that Scott Woodward's guy. Very interesting thing. There's no buyout on that contract, the same contract that Scott Woodward, um, you know, designed and Scott Woodward. Uh, was always a, a lot of people assumed he would be the, the next AD at, at LSU when Joe Oliva left. Everybody felt like Joe Oliva was on his way out. So it's just all kind of shaped up to where he would give himself this opportunity mm-hmm. to make a move. I do think this was prepared, um, but I don't think Jimbo's making that move. Okay. So now at least we're down to two names. So before we go to the big name, let's go to the name that you mentioned earlier. Billy Napier, he's right there. Obviously, 
if obviously he would take the job. He's done a great job at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, he's been, you know, he's been that coach just been mentioned for the last three or four years. And you could tell that he's clearly been holding out for a job like this, a job that he feels like is higher up on the, uh, on the food chain where he can win a national title at. Um, they're going to have this conversation if they haven't already. Billy Napier in your top two? No, I think he's um no, I don't he's not in my top two. Not I think in your top Napier, two. I think Napier's a guy they would feel comfortable with. Um, but you're Scott Hollywood, uh, Woodward, you know, you were brought in to make splash hires. That's what this guy does, right? Yeah. So if you have an ability to go get a top flight, top name proven coach at this level, um, you don't bypass that for Billy Napier no knock on Billy Napier he's been highly successful I think he's honestly I think the dude could win big at LSU I really yeah. he'd be a great hire I just don't see Scott passing on some other guys to get to Billy Napier um, but I do think he's fairly high on that list if they go if they start to make their way down that list yeah and when we talk about Woodward I, I know I'm probably the one person that really follows women's basketball to an extent Kim Mulkey out of Baylor, which was a major hire. Like she won titles, plural, at Baylor and basically left overnight. He's like, yeah, I'm going. So, you know, so Scott, Scott can get who he wants. And that leaves me in a final name. That's Fish's choice. And this was Fish mentioned this almost a month ago. And I gave the story to Chris Wright at Saturday night south. He was like, no, I heard you looking at Bill Tucker. So that's what you get, Chris. You're a dumbass. Anyway, I heard you talking about Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, is that the number one guy on the board? I think so. I think so. And I've, I've kind of felt this way from the beginning for, for various reasons as well. Um, one is everybody in Baton Rouge right now is a, enamored with potent offense, right? And so if you're going, if you're really looking for an offensive mind, um, you don't have to go very far. I mean, Lincoln Riley has to be pretty high on your freaking list at this point. So, and the fact that his name wasn't mentioned that big early on, when I was first going on radio stations about this and <clears throat> everybody wanting to know who the candidates would be, I was telling everybody, um, I wouldn't pay attention to the big names you're hearing now, Lane Kiffin, Mel Tucker, the names that aren't being mentioned, I find interesting. Uh, Lincoln Riley being uh, first on that list. And, and I do think it would be his job if he wanted it. And I do think there are those discussions. I mean, I've even been told prior to this season that at one point when there were concerns with everything going on off the field, if LSU had to make a change, um, that Lincoln was going to be their guy. And some backdoor conversations had even happened prior, earlier in this year. And so this was something I heard prior to the season. So instantly when all this news broke, um, and we saw it developing, of course, we anticipated a lot of this. Um, you know, he's always been high on my list as someone that I thought they would end up going after. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people say, is it a lateral move from Oklahoma to LSU? No, Lincoln Riley's done all he can at Oklahoma. Um, and a lot of that is because of the talent pool that's available to Oklahoma. They don't have near the dynamic defenders and defensive players that LSU is able to recruit in their own backyard. And so there's, there, there's the difference right there. And that's what a lot of these schools know. If you go to LSU, you're going to have, um, you know, a lot of elite athletes at your disposal, unique to only a few states, Florida and Georgia and the South can match. Mississippi has good players. Alabama has good players. 
they don't turn them out like they do down here. And then when you think of the success rate, most LSU coaches have in recruiting those guys and keeping them home, it's an easy job. And so I think Lincoln's reached his max at Oklahoma. If he wants to win titles, there's no way anyone can convince me he thinks he has the same opportunity to do so at Oklahoma as he would at LSU. You know, I'm going to jump in real quick. You, you kind of see the frustration in the Baylor game with him. Like, what else can I do at Oklahoma? Like, I, I think he can win a title, but everything has to go in his favor. Like, the, L, the SEC has to be down. Now Oklahoma's going to the SEC – where are they going to be in that pecking order? They're going to not, they're not going to be in the top four of those schools. They're not going to be LSU. They're not going to be Georgia. They're not going to be Alabama. So he's now fighting for fifth or sixth in that conference with A&M and some other schools. LSU, he, he got an upfront and close look at what he could coach when he went against Jamar Chase and Jefferson in that playoff game. And, and he's got to sit there and go, man, what type of offenses can I roll out there with the talent that rolls through Baton Rouge year in and year out? Like he doesn't have to do a whole lot. And like you said, he, he just goes out, you get, you, you have Greenwich come with you. Maybe Greenwich takes that, stays at Oklahoma and takes the job there. He's going to go find a top flight defensive coordinator and the talent that they could bring in. We've seen the defensive backs. I mean, I remember you telling me about some of these kids um, when they were freshmen and sophomores uh, that, that ta- the talent that they produce, plus they could go into Georgia and Florida and go after the elite kids there. I mean, LSU's become a national brand. They get kids from all over the country. Lincoln's got to sit there and go salivate at the idea of like, I could, I'm going to be in the top five every year. I'm going to compete for national titles every year. And I don't have to grind it out. Like at Oklahoma, he's, he's got to grind it out just just to get to 11 wins every year. And they they somehow find a way to lose every year one game because one side of the ball or the other just doesn't come through. And I think he goes to LSU, that won't be a problem anymore. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of my thought. If you took a Devin White and a Derek Stingley and some Jamal Labs and these types, and, and he had some of those types on the defensive side of the ball at Oklahoma in, in recent years, probably would have already won a title. You know, and that's what you get year in, year out at LSU. And I think there's only six or seven schools in the country that can say um, they have all the resources, all the talent in their backyard and the ability to recruit at that level to get that type of athlete consistently, whether it's Georgia, um, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU and whatever Florida schools hot in any given year. Outside of that, all these other schools are, are somewhat handcuffed and don't and can't match what these other schools can yeah. bring to the table. So, uh, yeah, if you have an ability, if you have a chance to coach one of those schools, it's a leg up on the competition. It's, it's simply that easy. And it's been proven when you look in the yeah. title. I the mean, Jimmy, he's never been the Oklahoma's never the number one school on a kid's list because there's not enough talent in Oklahoma. And then he's got to go in neighboring Texas. They're not going to they're they're always going to be number two to Texas. They go to Louisiana. They're going to always be number like they're never going to be that top dog. He has to recruit beyond what that school's capable of. And you've seen it. And like I, I agree, I think LSU and Lincoln Riley are the perfect match. And I that's my choice of who's going to be the next head coach at LSU. I'd agree with that. All right. So what names are we missing? Who's missing out? Who am I? Who am I not, who am I not mentioned? I think I think Matt Campbell is is honestly pretty high. Oh, on this not list. the Matt Campbell thing again. Good I'm Lord. telling you, he's pretty high on this list, right? He brings some some 
some things that they really like and they're looking for. And I don't know if he's one or two, but I wouldn't put him further than three or four on this list. I think he is above Aranda. He is above Billy Napier. He's above a lot of these guys, James Franklin. Um, you know, I, I do think he's pretty high on that list. And if they strike out on a Lincoln Riley and, and not certain who number two would be at that point, I think it's a toss up. It might come down to great interviews. And I'm telling you, you put Matt Campbell in the interview setting, there aren't many people that are going to beat him. So um, I do think he's pretty high on the list. Campbell's, no, no way I'm taking Matt Campbell's, Campbell. Campbell's, over Dave yeah, I, I agree. There's no way. Well, the thing is with Matt Campbell, does he want to, like, from a recruiting standpoint, I, I just, the SEC's yeah, a different. The SEC's a that, different animal. That that was Mark Rick. I think Matt Campbell's closer to a Mark Rick, where that does he yeah. really want to get mix it up with these other schools in the SEC? All right, I don't want to get yeah. listen. I don't want to get into You're speaking our language. This is the language. Right. Some can't, yeah, that you know, but like Matt yeah. Campbell. Matt Campbell wears white gloves. All right. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you got to get grimy in the SEC if you want to compete with the. Um, the teams in red in the yes. We're not going to accuse anybody of anything, but we'll just say, listen, Matt Campbell. <laughs> he's yeah, at Iowa. He's at Iowa State. There is other than that, maybe somebody buys a kid a burger on the side. <laughs> there ain't much else that's going on in freaking Ames, Iowa. All right. Oh uh, yeah, that, uh, I think that is the, the major concern. I think that's honestly the thing that's held him back from getting that elite job and might continue to. Unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Yeah, that's why he's looking at NFL jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. More wise. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I would agree. Um, so you know, with it all being said, with it being done, they've you know, Orgeron was uh, I, I guess they announced he wouldn't be coming back several weeks ago, so they've had. They've had over a month now to do a job search. It doesn't seem like it's affecting their recruiting. Heck, I'm still extending offers to kids. So it seems like the infrastructure has still stayed relatively strong, even though you don't have a head coach going into next year right now. Yeah, and it's it's been pretty interesting to see. Um, the thought is you're going to keep in today's game with the transfer portal. You, you can't really clean house like you do. You better have a few transition coaches there to help with that. And, and so, and LSU's got some big hitters on the recruiting trail and still a big brand. So they've been throwing out offers. Most of their commitments are from in-state, right? And so they're able to still hold on a lot of those guys. A lot of those guys commit to the school. They grow up wanting to play for LSU. Has nothing to do with Ed Orgeron. You know, seven years ago, none of those kids even knew who Ed Orgeron was. Okay. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be an opportunity for whatever coach comes in to still have a top 10 type recruiting class. There's a lot of uncommitted prospects within the state that are just sitting back waiting to see what LSU does. So, uh, and that's why I think they're going to rush to make a hire here. I mean, they, they play Texas A&M in what, nine days or whatever it might be, or eight days. Um, and that's going to be their final game. I mean, on that ninth, 10th day, they're, would like to be able to make an announcement and that's what's going to be interesting to see is lincoln riley comfortable or any of these guys comfortable with that going public prior to signing day um and how will that transition go are they going to coach the bowl game and then return and then go to lsu so there's a lot 
that I think in at play here with the early signing day period that really changes the dynamics for a school like LSU, who really needs top five recruiting classes. You look Do we at, have some sleeper candidates out there? Is there a, maybe a Mike Gundy situation that could pop up? Is there a um, – I think it must yeah. be a sleeper candidate. I don't know. Is there a P.J. Flex situation? I mean, is there someone in that ilk that could possibly pop – Gus Malzahn? Is there something like that that could pop up? I think if you don't see – okay, so if they're candidate um, – if they're not able to make a public announcement or that move heading into the early signing period, and they're kind of forced to wait this out, right? If one of their candidates are in the playoff hunt or playing conference championship games, I think that opens the door for a guy like Matt rule, right? Who at this point looks like he probably not going to make the playoffs for the Panthers. Now he still has multiple years left on his deal, but he would go into next season on the hot seat. If you're Matt rule, do you pass up the potential to return to LSU in the college game where you found a lot of success um, prior, um, do you pass that opportunity up to go into another season on the hot seat with a below average quarterback, right? Because the Panthers don't even have a quarterback yet for the future. So I think names like that could start becoming an option. What, who might some fall off or where might some doors open later in the process if we get into mid-December in the NFL? And I think that could be interesting to watch. If they don't have this announcement done in three weeks, I would definitely think Matt Rule becomes a candidate for this job at that point. Yeah, I don't want to say Matt Rule's the next Nick Saban because what Nick Saban's done. But if LSU finds a way to drop down to Matt Rule, I mean, you want to talk about freaking – I'm going to Vegas with these guys because, honestly, they're going to end up with the best coach uh, in the college level once Saban steps down. I mean, Matt Rule is is unreal. You look, you were talking about keeping, you know, part of the staff, you know, Corey Raymond's been a guy that's been there a long time. Is he someone that will continue to be, is, is he the Odell Hagans of this staff that the next coach has to, he's going to keep him on board. Um, is Corey one of those guys you feel will still be at LSU once uh, the news breaks of the new head coach? Yeah. I mean, Corey survived multiple coaches already, um, you know, recently built his, the first time he's owned a home, recently built a home in Baton Rouge. Corey's a Louisiana guy through and through. And as long as LSU is willing to take care of Corey, Corey's not going to leave. And I think he is one of those integral transitionary pieces on the coaching staff that you really have to retain. Um, his ability to go out and get top corners. I don't think there's a position coach in the country at any position um, that's consistently recruited and developed and produced um, players at their position group as well as Corey Raymond has over the last decade. I just, you know, I don't think there's a single guy in the country. So I think LSU is going to do what they can, but at the same time, Corey's going to have a lot of opportunities here. Oh, um, I'm, sh- I'm sure Jimbo will call him. So yeah, no, I just, I, I, I agree. I just saying I'm jumping in real quick. You know, I just think there's people on that staff that have been there a long time that I think they're, they need to move on. You know, Corey's not mm-hmm. one of them, but there's people off the field. You know how I feel about certain situations. They need to move forward so they can move on. And, and there's a lot of contacts that they that they need to re, re join back up with because I think it will help their program. You don't want to burn any bridges. And I think they've done that. And that's something, like you said, they're going to, you know, change some of that staff out. And I believe that's the best for that program. So that, that's an interesting point you bring up that, doesn't get discussed. Nobody really understands, but you and I, and we know, 
Yeah. You know, there is some damage on the back end that's really restricted LSU's ability um, to recruit and do some other things um, that I think you're right. For the most part, a lot of these, these faces and names, they probably do need to clear out and rebuild some of those relationships and open some of those doors again, um, because, you know, Clemson, Alabama, those doors are open for those schools. And that's been one of the, the humps they've had. Um, so, yeah, I think they do need a fresh start. I don't think Corey's the guy that I think that's one of the guys you definitely have to retain along with a couple others. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get a little bit in before we go. I want to get a little bit into uh, your history with seven on seven. Uh, you are the, uh, I guess you're like you're the president CEO of the bootleggers, which is the, uh, which is a, uh, which is a golf coach, just powerhouse. Uh, Fish, you know, Fish and I both have history covering seven on sevens. I had a, small foray in the seven on sevens myself when we built a team around Derwin James in Polk County, Florida. And believe me, three years was enough to make me just want to jump off of jump off the roof somewhere. Wait a second. Seven on seven football. Corey, Corey, when you hear the names of some of the kids, like the dolphins haven't drafted this well. All right. Like maybe they need a higher, maybe they need a higher. I know what, I know what Jimmy Smith's capable of. He's a, it's a, like I said, it's a golf coach powerhouse. Like anytime getting a golf coach, state, Jimmy's got a shot at him or probably got him on the team. Is my, is my man, the coldest, a bootlegger. Yeah. The coldest to ever. Yeah. The coldest. What up the coldest. The coldest was a, was a bootlegger in this recent year and, and played a little bit prior to. So, yeah, the coldest Crawford. The coldest. That's my man. The coldest. Love him. Really excited to see him at the next level. But in general, now, I've heard it. Pylon is done. Is Pylon officially done now? Well, it's it's NFA is done, which NFA. is IMG okay. Association. Yeah. Um, they basically shut it down. Pylon's still kicking. Um, Shock Doctor, who was a, a partner with Pylon in recent years, um, is kind of branching off and, and kind of launching their own circuit now. Um, I still work with Battle and help him build out the Battle 7 on 7 circuit. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's, you know, there's a few of them out some there. falling, some opening. Jimmy, me and, me and Corey are here to help you out, build this thing out, man. All right. Yeah, this year, this, year, this year opportunity for us to dominate, do world domination in 7 on 7s, man. Well, we've done pretty well in Florida um, with battle. Man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I would love to, to work with you guys on some things. I, I, I'm really a fan of seven on seven. Um, I think it gives guys like us unique opportunities to kind of see guys really compete in a, in a yeah. somewhat of a football setting. Right. And, and things of that nature. And, and, just gives kids other opportunities to develop their skills and things like that. And I know, uh, you know, bootleggers are, bootleggers are in their 13th year now right yeah. so your three years killed you um, <laughs> I've, had, I've had back surgeries abdominal surgeries I, I was completely gray at 32 like the bootleggers have definitely taken a decade off my life along <laughs> with the fish you add that to the two three years fish took off my life and some of the other things I've hey been- i never said i was easy to work hey. for man Archive this. this. This there's a, a reasonable chance this might be the last video I was ever able to make. We just don't know at this stage of my life. <laughs> Listen, I'm gonna tell you. A qu- I'm gonna tell you a quick story before we get into your bootlegger thing. So, you know, because you want, we originally put a combine together. Corey uh-huh. one day came to me and it's like, "Hey, I want to do a combine. All right, well, I'm gonna do one in Lake Lake Gibson." 
All right. And the craziest thing is my stepmom had passed away and I had to put all the pressure on Corey to do the event. Right. Dude, I don't know what Corey did, but I show up and there's like 300 kids. Now, Corey never wanted to do one of these again with me after, but there were well, it wasn't he, you. He, it was he, never he, yeah, bullshit. I, I, it, was, it, was, it was the most. I never got that many phone calls in a two-week period before in my life of unknown numbers. Like every day from about five to like 10, the phone would just blow up and I just asking random questions whether we need to be there, such and such. I'm just like, I just can't do like I, I just can't deal with that much phone activity all day. <laughs> it was just so much. But I, um, brutal. But, you know, what I did was I put it in my home base. I mean, the easy part was like Gibson was where I went to school at, North Latham was where I grew up at, Polk County was where I cut my teeth at. So I knew that I could get those kids. Smart man. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you, so you know, J- J- Jimmy, yeah, I, he had entire JV teams coming out. Paying J- Jimmy, I, sh- I show up and I'm like, oh, man, this thing's going to be a disaster like every other one we've done. And I show up and I, there's like the whole parking lot's full. I'm like, how many people did Corey pay to show up to this event? Like he, Corey lost money on this event just so he could show me. He could get kids to a combine. <laughs> yeah. Like, how many favors did Corey ask? That's them? why he didn't do it again. He was 6K in the hole. He was yeah, exactly. You know? I never lost so much put on an event before in my life. All right. I lost less. I lost less. I lost less money through taxes. All right. So let's get down to it. You've had some great players on the bootleggers. You were telling me the other day, like, tell the audience, like, some of the kids you've had on your team. I, I know, like, you told me a long time ago, like, Odell Beckham, I think, was either part of your thing, and you even brought him down to Miami, and they, you know, they didn't even give him the time of day, but who are some of the other guys that you've had, and, and you've had a chance to work with? Man, it's been a lot. Well into the 20s currently playing in the NFL right now that have come through the program. Um, having an exact number, I tried to do it earlier in the year, some roster moves have Happen. I would bet there are about 26, 28 players from the bootleggers program in the NFL. Um, year one was a really loaded team. That was Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, uh, James Bradbury, an, an elite corner for the New York Giants, Amir Abdullah, who's still playing in the NFL at running back. And then we had some some Florida guys on that team. Remember um, Cortez Davis? Yeah. The kids from Mainland High School? Yeah. Uh, yeah, some guys like that on that team. And then from there, I mean, it's it's the who's who of Louisiana prospects, you know, from the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith played in the program for three years, uh, Jamar Chase, Harris Marshall, Derek Stingley, Dante Jackson, Leonard Fournette. I mean, the list goes on and Russell Gage for the Falcons. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Clyde Edwards Hilaire played a few tournaments with the team. I mean, it's an endless list. Um, like I said, you're into the twenties now of guys that are currently on rosters, but Intradavious white, who I think is one of the top three, top five corners in the NFL. Uh, he played with the program early on. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's dang near a, a skill position pro bowl team, honestly. Um, you know, don't have any former NFL quarterbacks uh, that have come through the program, but um, every other position has basically been covered. So it's been fun to watch, you know, watching these kids at 15 coming to tryouts and grabbing a kid like Devontae Smith, who was 131 pounds at the time and broken collarbone, didn't get to play. And 
in high school and, and just kind of seeing a little bit of a workout and saying, there's something special here, you know, and, and watching him develop, you know, Devonte was one of the best corners that have ever played in the bootlegger. What's, what's, what's crazy, Jimmy, is you guys gave him the 10 in my rankings. All right. I remember yeah. going in there, seeing Devonte Smith. I'm like, this kid's a 10. I mean, he weighs 130 pounds. I got to admit you guys, you hit it out of the park with him. So I, I yeah. got to give you you got to see these kids, and that's the thing. You really get to see them in different settings, right? Yeah. And so when you're doing evaluations, I, you know, that's kind of what my early career was here, doing scouting reports and things of that nature. Before they were huddle and everything, we were the guys. We were the huddle, and we do it through phones and emails, right? And so, um, yeah, I think it was just being able to see him work out and then the mindset and seeing so many other kids like him that as they get bigger and stronger, they get faster and seeing how fluid he was. And I was a natural runner. I mean, he was running four eights his junior year in high school. Everybody questioned his speed. If you go back and read that thing, you know, throughout the analysis we had on him was he's going to get really fast. He's just a natural fluid runner. As he develops his lower body, he's going to become a long, a long ball threat and things of that nature. I mean, the kid was dynamic. And like I said, one of the best corners I had ever seen. And it was interesting. I think his sophomore his junior year at Alabama when they were a little thin at corner, Nick Saban talked about Devontae taking snaps at corner just for practice purposes to kind of fill rosters out so they could compete. And when they asked how good he was, he said, honestly, he's probably the best we have. And I don't, he's, he wasn't lying. You know, year one in the bootleggers program, Devontae Smith was a corner and he was locked down. The best that team had had since Davius White. So, I mean, um, very talented guy. And being able to see guys like that go through those programs and develop and, and make those plays at 15, 16, 17 years old and wake up. I mean, I don't know if Odell said a full sentence the first tournament we ever played with him. Quiet as can be, you know, never said a word, never celebrated. That was Odell Beckham when we first saw him, you know, and now you see uh, he kind of came out of his shell, you know. And so it's, it's been interesting. Love seven on seven. On the bootleggers program, I think it's been great for the state of Louisiana, and and I'm honored to have been associated with it for so long. Yeah, it, it, I love I love what I love, I guess, about seven on seven is like you said, you see the kids when they're younger, um, you know, and part of the, the camp that Fish and I were talking about, like I had brought Derwin. I think Derwin was either an eighth grader, and I don't know if I had uh, I don't know if I had told Odell Higgins about him yet. I think he might have. I don't think he might have been in high school yet, but. He, you know, he ran through our camp and, you know, officially, like, who is this kid? I'm like, oh, this kid's in eighth grade. You know, you see him young and you just know, you know, a few of them, you just, when you see them in ninth grade, you can look at it, you can look at their disposition, look at the way they carry themselves and you just know, you mm -hmm. know, that in seven years, this kid's going to get drafted, you know, five years, you know, it's just going to be, so it's, it's definitely fun to watch them grow. Yeah. Who's a, who's a bootlegger's big rival because, the Polk County Dream Team, our rival was Untime Preps. We had a couple of uh, mm -hmm. like scrimmages with them, and I thought World that was, War III was, was that AG Wasim's team. No, was... Untime Preps is Ricky Sailor's team in Tampa. That's right. That's yeah. what. Yeah, and okay. at the time, like we were an all Polk County team, and Ricky's team was mostly like ninety percent Hillsborough County. So it was like Odd Tate. It was that. It was that crew. And I thought World War Three was going to break out in our second scrimmage, like. They look like, I mean, they, they, it was sure, it was, it was, it went from being a great scrimmage battle, like one of these fun, oh my God, we're watching like, you know, we're watching some future pros on your battle to, 
these kids are about to kill each other. Like, these kids are not going to make it to school on one day. They're about to beat the hell out of each other. Who's the bootleggers? Like, who's your big rival? Yeah, I think um, it was Houston Fast for a few years. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Waddle's old team. Yeah. Um, you know, one particular matchup I remember with them in New Orleans, it was like every tournament we went to, we met them in the finals and went back and forth. And then one year, um, their Jalen Waddle team was the year we had Jamar Chase and all those guys. So you had Jalen Waddle battling Jamar Chase, you know, as 16-year-olds on that circuit in New Orleans at night with the whole crowd gathered around the field because that was the yeah. high-profile game. So, um, yeah, that was a rival for a while. Recently, it's become Miami Immortals, another team that we've seemed to have faced a lot in big games. <laughs> And uh, they, they, they've taken over as a team really in South Florida. You know, they take, I think they bypassed the express and they've also bypassed the fire. They had a very, they had a very good team this year. Now I'd like to say the express our arrival just cause you know, we, we both started early on. We just don't play each other enough. Haven't been in enough significant games, but they've always been highly contested except for year one, that team with Odell and Jarvis and met that team in the semifinals and nationals. And um, they had Teddy Bridgewater and all those guys along with it, Duke Johnson, and they slaughtered the bootleggers. <laughs> I say the bootleg. Notice I didn't say us. Yeah, that was a yeah. That was uh, uh, so, when they got their ass beat. You don't take. You don't. You don't accept. Yeah, no, you no. know, I was, I was just but, a fan at, at yeah. that point. <laughs> <laughs> but they needed that. But that crew, as you can say, that crew needed that. They needed that measuring stick. But that was a great thing about the South Florida Express. Like, all of my kids, you know, none, like I said, we were in a Polk County group. So there wasn't anybody that had these seven-on-seven experience with it. They all knew who the South Florida Express was. You know, that was – that would be like the Dallas Cowboys equivalent in seven-on-seven. Like, they were the they were the original super team. Brett Getz and that crew, they were the first team to have all their own gear. They were the first team to have the, like they were, they yeah, were the first arriving on limo buses. And yeah, everything. they had like a big, a big old like rock band bus with them. Yeah, they had everything. You were yeah. literally ironing on numbers in the hotel rooms. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 Corey, you know what's crazy? They did it all just because they love the kids. That team, right? Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, yeah, they they just all out of love. <laughs> so much love. One hundred percent for the kids. Yeah, yeah. Char charter buses. That was just for the love of them. That was my problem. I could, there was no end game for me. I'm like, I'm spending a lot of money on these kids, and some of these kids ain't gonna make it to FCS football. So, I, like, like once Derwin left, I was like, ah, hey, yeah, you know, my my time, my time is getting a little bit more valuable these days. You know, <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is funny. Yeah. Hey, man, Jimmy, I, I always yeah. love waking chat. I love when the three of us can catch up because it's been too long and. You know, you're, you're still here. I'm happy. You look pretty good. I mean, you're gray yeah. everywhere. You have a, I, don't, I don't think you're – you got that Richard Gere wow. thing going on. <laughs> Richard Platinum. Gere. Hey, the thing, the thing I give – you know why I give Jimmy credit, all right, and I appreciate him coming on? It's kind of like me. We came into this business, and honestly, I think the two of us are very similar. We weren't – we had to earn our way through, and a lot of people try to knock us down and take us out of this business and made up rumors – and Jimmy's still here because he didn't cut corners. He didn't do it the wrong way, just like I did. And, and that's the one thing I've always appreciated about him. I Listen, I, I have people telling me so many bad things. That's why me and him had issues yeah. early on is because I believed a lot of that shit 
and then there was just, so much of it yeah right? I mean, I mean, like, honestly, everywhere back in those days, I mean, this was the number one street agent in the country, man, but it's and all good. It was crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. think that, I mean, you know, and, and I was struggling so bad at that time because there wasn't a ton of money to be made early in my career. Right. Nah. So I'm getting paid for doing profiles for you, trying to sell some schools here, or there, run a <laughs> combine here, or there, yeah. and uh, just really struggling. And, and here I was, you know, being written in, bestsellers is like a <laughs> street agent it's like what like dude i've been sleeping on my buddy's couch for three months what are you talking about like we were bad at it we were yeah, the worst yeah. agents by so far. i was the worst and best all at the same time i just i did a lot of it just didn't know how to capitalize on it exactly. we did a lot of it pro bono was a yeah, it's guilt by association. Every everybody I was associated with was going down around me. And yeah. so it was like, well, hey, listen, we, we how many times did we jump that sinking ship? But Jimmy, I really appreciate you coming on, and yeah, you're, sure, you're, you're a friend of the pod. So anytime you want to jump in or you got something good to talk about, we've our our thing has grown a lot. We've had you know we've had head coaches come on from Manny Diaz to Mike Norvell to uh, Tom Allen. So. You're part of that elite group now, man. You've joined the the fish hey, podcast. In the, the bootleggers, I'm gonna tell you, I put as I put more guys in the NFL than Mike Norvell. All right, I well, put, no, I'm just that, that's not that's not I'm saying joke much, with you. I'm hey, we're, we're, three guys. We're, in the we're gonna NFL. we're gonna cut that. <laughs> we'll cut that pot out. Hey, listen, Mike Norvell may need to hire you. All right, because honestly, uh-huh. all, and all these schools with all the kids that you have uh, connected to you, I mean. I think he'd be a hell of a recruiting coordinator at one of these schools. I, I agree with that. I wasn't interested, man. I mean, I wish I'd have taken – I had some opportunities earlier. I wish I'd have taken them. At this point in my career, I probably wouldn't do it. But, yeah. yeah. Listen, when you start seeing guys uh, like the guy at Ohio State making 250 300 grand a year, you may well, think look, twice. If one of those call yeah. – if one of those types got <laughs> You'd have to you'd have to consider it. You'd have to, you know. (laughs) I'm telling you, this I would dye this back brown, you know, or shave it. He would go back, turn back the clock. I would, I would hair plug and all. I would Drew Brees hair plug it. All right. (laughs) Well, once again, man, honestly, it's great having you on, and um, you know, I it's been great to get you back on. It was was a fun conversation. This is a great time. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Jimmy Smith, everybody. I appreciate him, man. We right, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Like I've known you two guys for a while, and here we are today. Still still kicking, right? Still, still kicking it. Absolutely. Pushing, doing what you do, and I appreciate y'all reaching, coming back, and, and bringing me back. Absolutely. And we're gonna, I love, hopefully you'll come back after LSU makes that hire, and we yeah. can talk about about the future it's like the mob it's like the mob you never get out man you never get out never always bring you back in yeah and i'm a made man yep so well there you got it man Corey. you you got your final talk here man you know um yeah i definitely want to first say we appreciate our team at the fish cast our well-rested producer justin otto Uh, i want to say that i was looking at our analytics numbers and we got a download from baghdad no lie, a download from Baghdad on our last uh, podcast. So whoever out there in Baghdad, shout out to you for downloading, listening to the Fishcast. I'm assuming it's one of our. Somebody wants me dead. 
Yeah, maybe <laughs> one of our, uh, you know, maybe one of our great, you know, contractors that's American or one of the soldiers that's still out there in deployment. So, uh, you know, either way, thanks to you. Uh, of course, you can find the Fishcast at the Fish Podcast on Twitter. You can listen to us anywhere on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Hey, Jimmy, where can they find you at on Twitter? Yeah, at Jimmy Detail. At, at Jimmy Detail. Detail. Yeah. And Fish, where can they find you? Don't even go on Twitter. So I'm going to ask you. I go on Twitter. I go on Twitter, man. You know. That's right. You, he the has ones troll that we can, He has troll accounts, dude. Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> the once a week that Fish is on Twitter. Was it Elite Scouting FL? Yeah, that's <laughs> it, man. Elite Scouting it's FL. Joey Freshwater. At Joey Freshwater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, I survived another meeting with the Jimmy Smith, man. It's all good. Absolutely. Shout yeah, out easy. to uh, Shout out to everybody. Y'all have a great weekend. Shout out to the bootleggers, my man, the coldest. What up, the coldest? Can't wait to see you on the field next year. Line up across from Keyshawn Boutte, the coldest and Boutte. Together, oh that's going to be the next great receiving crew. What a, <laughs> what a name, man. Well, we're out. We're out, guys. Have a good one. Step here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.